Hello, Hi Mom podcast listeners. It's Ingrid here. I just want to drop a quick note and let you know that the podcast you're about to listen to is the one that was supposed to come out next week because the one that was supposed to come out today had a few recording issues. So I'm just letting you know ahead of time because there's a few times in this podcast that we say... Well, last week we talked about, and really that's the kind of thing you're going to listen to next week because we had to flip the episodes. So hopefully it's not too confusing, and I think you'll still enjoy it. Enjoy some conversations about creativity and parenting. Hello. Welcome to Hi Mom, Let's Talk. This is our mom and daughter podcast. I'm Ingrid. I'm the daughter. I live in New York. And I'm Vicky, the mom. I live in Los Angeles. We're figuring out life from opposite coasts. Doing our best to cultivate a raw and transparent relationship that is also generous and safe. So mom, let's talk. Hi, mom. Hello, Ingrid. Let's talk about creativity in parenting. Good idea, because it takes some. I imagine. I realized about the way that you worked really hard to keep our communication creative throughout mm -hmm. my life, because as the parent for a long time, you were the example of and the sort of like trendsetter for the way that we communicate and interact mm -hmm. with each other. This week, I'm sure we'll get into that a little bit more, but I thought of talking about creativity of parenting actually a little bit differently based on an interaction I had with another friend of mine who was a mom, which is sort of like, can we talk about the way that in this day and age, moms may feel pressure to be creative oh, yeah. in their parenting in the age of Instagram and blogging and Pinterest, et cetera. Mm -hmm. I was talking to this mom friend of mine and of ours, mm -hmm. but I was with her in mm -hmm. person and she was sort of stressing about making the kids lunches oh. and uh, asked me, what did you eat growing up? And I was like, oh, uh, well, I can tell you exactly what I ate. I ate the same thing almost every day. I had chocolate chips and almonds for lunch or for, for a snack. I had bell peppers because that was my vegetable of choice and we had to choose a vegetable. And so mine was bell peppers and Ellen's was cucumbers mm -hmm. every single day. And then we had uh, probably a sandwich, either PB&J or turkey turkey sandwich. Maybe a, a bean and cheese burrito was a pretty often food in our house. And that's what I had every day. Oh, we did do a lot of chicken salad. Chicken salad. Yeah. yeah. So she, her response was, she felt pretty relieved. I could sort of see that happened to her. And she commented that she had been worried that her kids were going to get bored with lunch because she knew that she likes to eat lots of different mm. things every day. And so she didn't want them to feel like they were like resigned to eat like boring lunchtime. But also kids are picky. And so like there's not a lot of options. So what do you do? And like, how do you make them look creative or fun? And uh, my response was like, I don't think they care. <laughs> I did just fine with pretty much like consistency is just fine, mm. too. So do you have any reactions to that immediate story about this like pressure that somehow she felt in the world? I don't know. I, for me, what it feels like is some semblance of like s serving on a silver platter. Like, you know, there's like an extra level of effort that I just think moms do so much every day. They don't have to like roll out the red carpet all the time. Yeah. Well, it also is a picture of the responsibility that she has taken. And granted, when you have younger kids, you you do have more responsibility because you think, OK, I didn't make them lunch. But looking back and now kind of coaching parents, uh, I would encourage them, especially with regard to the executive function coaching that I would do, I would encourage parents to start 
sooner in inviting their children into the lunch making and uh-huh. any kind of daily routine thing. I would invite their children to start participating in the daily routine thing. And I think what happened in our family is I don't love doing those things like those preparing everybody's meal. (laughs) That's like not top on my list of things that I like to do every day. So I, I think I was probably more eager to say, why don't you guys participate in this? <laughs> there are plenty of moms in the world, though, who like preparing meals for their family. Like, that's something they actually enjoy doing. And so they kind of, I can see other moms, like, feeling stress about not being very creative and feeling, oh, I'm, I kind of am redundant here doing the same thing day after day. And want <laughs> enjoying making the meal. but also getting fatigued with making the meal. So I think I just want to acknowledge that and honor that and say, hey, that's great that you enjoy making meals. And I love what you said to her in that kids don't mind the consistency in meals. I had a nutritionist one time tell me we eat generally like 15 things. (laughs) We just prepare them differently. Yeah, like all people. That's, you know, we basically... (laughs) have kind of a list of go-to things. Rice, bean, chickens, broccoli. And, and you know, I love the idea of creatively, and maybe you do it seasonally and or every three, well, seasonally would be every three months, basically. <laughs> but saying, okay, for the fall, what is the fall fruit that we're going to have for the winter? Yeah. It, that's kind of easy. Like, okay, apples are common in the fall. Oranges are common in the winter kind of thing. Right. Yeah. I like that. There's a few things I want to pull out from that. Lovely and eye-opening. <laughs> in one sense, sort of hearkening back to the last few weeks, maybe even like um, Audrey's interview episode, I'm interested in your pointing out that like part of the reason that our lunches might have been more consistent is that you weren't very interested in like taking <laughs> joy there. Right. So it was, you know, we just kind of made it happen, which I think that it's probably true across the board when you are sharing a uh, a lifestyle or a vocation with like a large population group. It can start to feel like there's a lot of things that are expected of you that really might just come down to personality or, or creativity level. Mm-hmm. So, you know, like these aren't rule when you see one mom succeeding in one way and another mom succeeding in another, like those aren't the new standard. Like those aren't like rules for success. Mm-hmm. One mom's going to really take joy in cutting the crust off their children's <laughs> sandwiches. And the other mom's going to be like, you better eat. You know, I don't know. So I, I just like mentioning that, that you can celebrate someone else's creativity without it becoming your new standard or yeah. responsibility. I think when... I was first introduced to Pinterest. It was around somebody's wedding. You know, they're they're like, oh, there's this something called Pinterest. <laughs> you can you can make your own Pinterest board. And I was like, oh, that's cool. And if you have the self control to glance on there, it's kind of like, where do you gaze and where do you glance? Which we've sure. talked about before, definitely with regard to faith conversations. But if you can use Instagram or Pinterest as a glance, hey, I would love some ideas for how to creatively prepare my child's lunch. I think that's lovely. It's a super wonderful resource for that. It can be so um, comparison, anxiety provoking if you gaze there too long. Yeah, absolutely. I think that's a, I mean, if you're going to look at specifically Pinterest, are you using it as a search platform or are you using it as a social media platform? 
because social media sort of has a tendency for gaze. Yes. And I, I know friends that use Pinterest as social media and they like follow people and pin things mm-hmm. and to each other and send messages. But I just think of it as like a more curated re- research platform. And so I only go there if I'm looking for a specific recipe or something, mm-hmm. which, yeah, you're right, would be a little bit less anxiety inducing in that way or pressure filled. Right. Yeah. The other thing I love that you said had to do with inviting the kids in Mm. because what that does is that, first of all, yes, definitely teaches them to take responsibility for their own things and lunches, probably even just like helps find motor skills when you're really (laughs) young to prepare those kinds of meals. But also what that what that could do is take away the expectation to use your level of expertise as an adult in the world. Because if you're going to teach a child a skill, you need it to be consistent. Mm. You need it to be the same every time so that they know what the formula is. Mm. And then only seasonally be like, you know, only after a long time of them understanding the habit of it, Mm -hmm. do you set out plums instead of apples and see if they can pick up that you're going to use the plums instead, but they go in the place of the apple. Mm -hmm. So... You could just bring down that, like, level of capacity to whatever your five-year-old can do and be like, great, that's all that I need to do. Right. It's it's also good going – it goes back to where what we – the book that we have mentioned many times is Julie Lithcott-Hames' uh, How to Raise an Adult, just to remind parents that, you know what, kids do better if they have chores. And lunch making is a chore – <laughs> it happens every day. I d- it doesn't have to be a negative chore. You don't have to equate chores with something negative. You know, I don't mind. There's chores that I do every day that I don't mind. I don't mind cleaning out the coffee pot every day because I love drinking my coffee. <laughs> so that it's is worth a, worth a, a worthy chore. <laughs> Yeah. So those are some specifics about uh, about meal prep. But I think I like that story as an opening. And I do think that those kinds of themes probably carry over. Do you remember if there were things throughout parenting young kids or more recent that felt like, oof, this feels pressure filled or this is not my wheelhouse, but I'm I'm feeling the need to make it my wheelhouse. Yeah, uh, and there there is pressure in that. And actually, I've had conversations with the therapist about that to say, with my spiritual director to say, you know, you guys are really musical or something like that, and I would like to participate creatively in music with you. I am not as skilled, or you're, you know, for instance, your dad, he he can pick up any instrument, and he's very proficient and skilled at the guitar and the so the sing-along is easy you know and I would like to participate in that but I can't show up at a skilled level I, I can only show up at a beginner level so <laughs> here's the three chords that I know <laughs> yeah. um, and this is the strumming pattern that I can play on the ukulele so to have the courage courage and creativity going together in Brene Brown fashion to say, this is what I can do. This is how I can participate. I really want to participate with you because I know that this is your area of interest and I want to do something with you in an area of interest. So will you accept my beginner level or how long can you tolerate that? (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. So where's creativity in that? I think that's a I'm sure that's a story that everyone resonates with in some some way. There's like a there's a place where you feel like you'd like to participate, but there's some sort of barrier that makes it like there's an elephant in the room and that makes it less exciting or sustainable. Mm-hmm. Yeah. 
Yeah, I mean, I, we played one time. I got out my bass, I think, with with our cousin, with your dad's cousin, who was a proficient mandolin player. And, you know, it was sustainable for like a half an hour because I, I couldn't go off on the bass. I only know a few things. And so like, okay, that's the extent of my songs. <laughs> and he, he could play for hours, but not not with me. So that I at some time it, it seems like that might be a, a conversation that you need to come up with and say, "Hey, I would love to play with you. What what how how long are you willing to play with me in my beginner skills?" Yeah, so there's a pressure or there's a you have a desire and the desire is to play and there's some sort of pressure there to either like to be better than you are or to play a certain amount of time. How are you? How have you been creative in the ways that you've decided to alleviate that pressure or just recognizing that it is a it is a condition it is a situation. This is the extent. This is the limit of my ability and being able to say that out loud and saying, hey, I have this desire to participate in this and this is the extent of my abilities can we still do this together, whatever, sing along or play music together or whatever? You know what that reminds me of is Audrey's story about her sewing machine mm-hmm. where she talked about like, how important it was to know your limits and by, w- by which she means not your creative limits, but the limits of your actually that's kind of it, like of your expect- expertise or just of the machinery you're using so that you stop and you pause what you're doing creatively long enough to let the steam off. And, and come back so that it's still delightful mm-hmm. for you. Of course, what's trickier about something in a familial situation than it is when it's just you and your sewing machine is that there are relationships and emotions involved. Mm-hmm. So it's not quite as simple as you saying, you know, I want to play the bass. I can only play it at a beginner level. And you can do more than a beginner level. There's like all, there's immediately just like lots of emotion in there attached to how long are you willing to play you don't want it to feel like a burden to play with me, but I do want to play with you. And Yeah, th- th- there's a lot of I'm only uh, two minutes ahead of you in my sewing skill level. I-, I remember one time when we made a pillow together, a flannel pillow. Do you remember that? Yeah. The pink yeah. one? Pillow. We made a pillowcase. Yeah, yeah. It was a pillowcase. But if I'm not super proficient and I get frustrated with the equipment of the sewing machine, then it's hard. You're going to take it, it out on me. It's hard to bring you along because you got frustrated with the equipment of the sewing machine. And I would be like, well, it's going to take me a lot of troubleshooting as well because I don't know the ins and outs of how this thing works. So, yeah, it can be very delicate. Truth be told, I think that that also happened pretty often for math homework. Oh, absolutely. <laughs> Where I'd be like, I need help. And you and dad would both be like, well, let me reteach myself this lesson for a moment. I'm sure everyone who's gone through parenting through the year of quarantine know what this is like. Yeah, because I don't didn't know. But yeah, it's not familiar to me. I did appreciate your junior high teacher who was like, you're the parent. I'm the math teacher. If they don't understand it, have them come back to me. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. Not everyone says that. That's a big deal. I, I think that that is the best advice. <laughs> <laughs> I did learn something new about math uh, fractions this year in my grad school class. And I thought, wow, this is really super helpful. There's like 60 plus percent of the population that doesn't know that fractions are numbers on the number line. Oh, right. Because fractions are also decimals and decimals are on the number right, line. But, but where? If they're mixed fractions, then they can be more than one. If they're not mixed fractions, then it's a number less than one. And a lot of people don't realize that that's a number. Oh, my gosh. <laughs> 
Mind blown. So even yeah, I mean, I guess if someone gave me a lot of a number line, I'd be able to figure it out. But yeah, I would, I've never don't think I've thought about well, that before. Well, there's a there's a place for creativity because we uh, teachers too often move quickly from to abstract from from concrete. Yeah levels. So if we use, if we spent more time, even in high school, if we spent time with concrete tools, instead of just moving to the abstract numbers, um, people would be like, have an easier time understanding. Right. So that's, that's a place for creativity and parenting right there. Stay with the concrete. Yeah. I think um, what is true often when we talk about parenting and it seems evident so far with both the food conversation and the music playing conversation is that there are endless amounts of tactile examples we could give that really all come down to emotional or relational challenges. Mm -hmm. So the pressure our friend was feeling to to make her children gourmet lunches every day had something to do with her feeling like she wanted to keep up with other moms in the world Mm. and her feeling like she wanted to do the best possible by her children. Mm. And so there was like this two levels of expectation within her that um, was affecting the way that she interacted with the world. And I think the same could be true for you engaging in music. There was you had you felt the expectation to participate in family music things and you had an expectation you you had a desire, I'm mm-hmm. assuming, to participate in it for your own enjoyment. Mm-hmm. But the actual like the way that that would manifest itself in the world was a little bit more complicated than you wanted it to be. Mm -hmm. So I think we're going to talk about the way to be creative in parenting without it being debilitating Mm -hmm. would be maybe to ask some more specific questions about when you're feeling too much pressure to think outside the box or do something out of your comfort zone. Can you go back and ask yourself some personal questions about, you know, where those messages are coming Mm -hmm. from and whether or not you really it matters actually Mm -hmm. to listen to them? Yeah. Yeah. Maybe it doesn't. Hmm. And that that is uh, that goes right in line with a kind of like the growth mindset instead of a fixed mindset of flexible, flexible thinking versus rigid thinking. The other thing that we know about everything (laughs) in life is that it's uh, important to be in community to do it. Mm hmm. So let's see, mom, can we brainstorm here some relational solutions for moments where you where you as a parent feel too, too pressured in one area, you know, or 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 feeling like you aren't up to the task in some way? Oh, well, well, definitely with like the everyday things of life, like the everyday meal preparation. It's nice to have input and creativity in the everyday meal preparation. And but it's nice to be able to do the same thing or to have some days that they're the same. Like a lot of people do creative things, but then every day is every Tuesday is Taco Tuesday (laughs) or every Friday is pizza and movie night, which is lovely. It's lovely to have those consistent things and then maybe some different things in different days. Yeah, I think knowing when to ask for help is, of course, always really important. And if you're feeling really pressured in some way. It's important to know which people are the safe ones to just say that. We love an I feel statement. (laughs) I remember a story that you've told before about Grandma Jo giving you, actually, this is still a meal thing, Mm. giving you advice in that way. The first time you you had like friends come over unexpectedly and you didn't know what to make for dinner. And you all of a sudden were like, "Ah, I'm supposed to host and how do I host? Remember that story? And Grandma said, well, you've got to have one meal that you can just, you've practiced enough and you can just pull out your of your go-to pocket. go-to meal, yeah, for your go-to yeah. guest meal. <laughs> that's that's sort of a, a beautiful example, actually, of sort of everything that we're talking about here, where there was 
a mentor in your life that you were able to engage with, community, Mm -hmm. who said, here's how to help alleviate the pressure of this situation, which happened to be hosting. Mm -hmm. And what she did actually was give you permission again there to not need to be creative, to say you can can master one mm-hmm. thing and that counts as hospitality and you can do it every time. Mm-hmm. I did uh, cu- uh, take that idea on seven years ago, I guess now. I, I, I only know that date because these people just celebrated their anniversary. When we had, we hosted a shower, like a couple's wedding shower for someone and in our backyard and I decided we, we didn't want to just use white tablecloth. So I went downtown to the garment district and I got these checked blue tablecloths and they were like my favorite blue color, like a kind of a light blue, turquoisey blue. And, but what I said, I, I made them, I sewed the ed- edges on them and I said, okay, from now on, whenever we have a party, these are the tablecloths that will be coming out and they will be repeat to us, but they will be fresh to everybody else. <laughs> And sure enough, they, you know, they pop out. You could look through all our pictures for the past seven years. And if it's a backyard party, chances are those tablecloths are in them. And they do look really fresh for other people. They don't look fresh for us. Everybody, you know, in our minds, we're like, okay, here, get out the tablecloths again. But for everybody else, they are fresh because we don't have the same people at every party. There has been a handful of people that have been in almost every party, but most people are changing. So, And I think that's another thing where like, because we're in an age of like Instagram and Pinterest in a lot of ways there is some like funny pressure to be different change it every time but just like Grandma Joy's advice about the one meal for guests like the hospitality is the same regardless of what the meal is and I think that's the same thing is true there I I don't groan when we get those tablecloths out it at this point they feel like the party (laughs) tablecloths and you sent me a photo of that of a party you made this year with those on and I out loud commented to the person next to me like oh my gosh it's a family party at home like that's a symbol now of of like really elegant homespun hospitality in our house. And I like to think that that's the way that our good friends who have been to every party we've ever thrown also feel about it. It's the wreck-it-all thing to do. (laughs) Just like it's the wreck-it-all thing for at least growing up, the two sisters to like sing a song. Mm -hmm. You know, it's like we just have some things that then become sort of your trademark. It was just a thing of habit somehow for you to say you have one snack growing up and it's chocolate chips and almonds. And now I am a chocolate chip connoisseur (laughs) self-dubbed and I can tell you specifically based on like style of uh, brand of chocolate chip how many salted almonds you need for the perfect ratio in a mouthful <laughs> and i have decided as a personality trait that's good i love how you own it your sisters well maybe not so much ellen but definitely audrey is a chocolate connoisseur too and we we each have our opinions on the on the version the brand of chocolate i think it's kind of fun to have a personality trait like that way like some people have their coffee connoisseur we definitely have our chocolate chip connoisseur exactly yeah i think there's something about like, yeah there's something about owning like like you're saying owning what you do consistently and that becomes part of who you are and that becomes like a funny little legacy and uh, that's part of being a parent too. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah. And the way that came about is I wanted to provide you a healthy snack that had some protein and some fat in it and give you something, a treat to look forward to. So that's where the chocolate chips came from. Because like some people would have M&Ms or trail mix for snack. And so I didn't, that, that, you know, that's a little bit more candy. So the chocolate chips is like, and, and we did a little study. Audrey actually did a little paper where she was said, chocolate is good for the heart and the brain. So... <laughs> 
That's right. <laughs> so there we go. That's our that's how we got our snack. So take this episode as your sign to not need to be creative when you don't want to be. Right. And to uh yeah, just to, just to own I like how you said that the a parts trademark, that give you joy. You know, this is my trademark. So it, originally it was creative and then it becomes a trademark and then it's used every time. <laughs> <laughs> Wait, that's a great point. It was creative at the beginning. So what am I doing saying, you know, thinking about things is not creative just because I happened to have done them before now? Yeah, I I think yeah, so. Yeah, your creativity does not diminish the more times that you do a thing. You still have that skill. You've still done the thing. Yeah, yeah. I'm glad about that. <laughs> we solved this problem of the world. It's a good done and done. What next? All right. That's good. All right, Ingrid, have a good week. You too. Bye, Mama. Thank you for listening to Hi Mom, Let's Talk. If you liked hanging out with us, Bye. please rate and review us on iTunes. We'd love to hear your feedback and your support. You can find more relationship tools on our website, HiMomPodcast.com. If you'd like to suggest a topic or share your own story, you can DM us on Instagram at HiMomPodcast or write us through our website. Special thanks to Sienna Ryder for editing our podcast. Thank you for listening and we'll talk to you soon.